You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Hi, I'm Lisa Patel, the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, and we're talking about negotiating with ease, influencing with trust, and detecting deception with confidence. And I'm thrilled to have Pamela Burnham join me. Pamela is a trusted and body language expert. She recently joined TREB at our first women-focused virtual event, Real Women. She's also a former undercover police officer and federal prosecuting attorney and successful entrepreneur. Pamela, welcome and thank you for joining me. Yay, thank you for having me, Lisa. This is fantastic. <laughs> well, let's get started. So you, I mean, you've got an incredible resume here and I'm curious about your life as an undercover cop. What was it like to live as someone else and pretend to be like a drug dealer? <laughs> well, it was definitely exciting and interesting. And as a woman, absolutely challenging. When I was in the drug enforcement section, I worked in Ontario, actually, with the Ontario Provincial Police. Um, I was one of two women in a unit of 89 officers. And the other woman uh, was in a supervisory position and did not do undercover work. So um, that was uh, extra challenging because I was used throughout the province, including throughout the GTA during that time. So very familiar with that area. And um, there's a lot of stories, probably many, which I'm not sure would be appropriate for uh, this particular venue, but there's a lot of interesting stories. And, you know, I think I, I'm so grateful that you put together an event really geared toward women in the profession of real estate because, you know, the numbers still show us in many professions that women are underrepresented in many different areas. And it's fantastic to see that changing. And I know it's happened in policing to some degree, and not so certain about undercover work at this point, but and in the legal profession, absolutely now, you know, real estate uh, following. So that's fantastic. I completely hear you. I mean, you touched on a couple of really hot topics right there. I mean, first off, we got to give you a huge kudos because you knew the GTA. So maybe one day you'll be back to join us in the GTA, right? Um, hopefully in our, our future realtor quest to come. And you're absolutely right. I mean, when we think about our membership, Treb's membership of 60,000 realtors and that 40% um, are, are women in this industry. So, I mean, that, that's, a, a, that's a great number that we should all be proud of, but we, we know that there's still a lot more work to be done. And um, I mean, you, with going back to you and your job and your life depended on building trust, what's your secret? It, it did, and it required the utmost ability to demonstrate that. So I, over time, you know, 20 years in the criminal justice system and working with some of our society's most dangerous people and living alongside of them, you know, pretending 24 uh, seven to be in that position and working undercover, just to clarify, it wasn't that I just wore plain clothes and policed in that fashion. It was actually, I had a different name, a different background, and I lived in different communities throughout the province for months at a time. So that's how, uh, that's how 
the undercover world was working for me. And of course, you just never know what's going to happen in any situation. You're dealing with people who have a lot to lose, uh, are used to violence, and there's a lot of money at stake. So what I found, and you know, I didn't cognitively recognize this during the time, but now that I've had time to dissect it later as a prosecuting attorney and then in graduate school studying negotiations, we start to put words to all of this and start to dissect systems and techniques. And I call it 3D, 3D trust or 3D negotiation. And the first D is all around what I was doing, which was displaying. And so I would display confidence. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about that uh, throughout the conference and, and what that means to display confidence, very different from arrogance. And it all has to be tempered with empathy. So regardless of who you're dealing with, whether it's drug dealers, dangerous criminals, uh, difficult clients in the real estate profession, brokers, uh, vendors, all of those people. Sometimes we can encounter difficulties and, and extreme challenges, but displaying empathy will go so much further uh, than any other thing that we can display. And when we temper that with confidence, of course, competence, knowing what we're doing, and really curiosity to umbrella all of that, I think that was the secret that I used and I did it in every occasion. I never had one incident of violence ever, mm -hmm. a few close calls, definitely. Um, but the ability to display those uh, emotions, display those characteristics, very, very important. And um, then decoding what was coming back to me. And I guess we'll be talking a little bit more about that as well. Right. Um, so we will have to hold on to that. That's the first D, right? I mean, you've touched That's that. That's the first D. <laughs> so there's a couple it's more displaying. Ds that you're going to be sharing with us. Yes. <laughs> but uh, so, why is interpreting uh, body language so important? Uh, how does the body language differ in a one-on-one -on -one conversation versus a big group? So that's all the decoding. That's the second D. That's to decode what's coming at you. Now, in a one-on-one, -on -one, you can get a lot more information that is specific and you can really fine tune what you're looking for because there's not so many distractions. When you're in a large group, so for example, if I'm speaking to thousands of people or if I'm just speaking to one person, completely different dynamic, the, the several person scenario. You're really reading the energy of the room. You're really paying attention to uh, where that's going. And you can usually, if you get good at decoding, you can find out the power people in the room, the decision makers, which aren't always the same as the power players in the room. You can watch for um, when the mood starts to shift in the room. We've all sensed that before, but maybe we weren't able to know why. Now, one-on-one -on -one conversations, that's really where the magic happens or in small groups, because you can really do a lot more to influence um, those particular decision makers. So finding out the, the, who the decision makers are and the power players in the room and then focusing on influencing there is really, really important. So the difference really is uh, that small, fine detail that you can get with just the one-on-one -on -one as opposed to the big picture. And both are important depending on the situation. Oftentimes we have to do big picture first and then we know where to direct our energies. I was, I was actually just about to say the same thing. That's so funny. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's just like when you walk into a room, energetically, you know um, where you gravitate to or, or the types of energies that you gravitate to, or you can feel the energies when you walk into a room. So same, I guess, all along the same line. <laughs> 100%.
100%. Let's, let's uh, discuss more about smiling and eye contact. How do, you, how do we use facial expressions and body movements differently? Well, you know, in Western cultures, um, eye contact and facial expressions can be different in, in other parts of the world as well. I'm actually speaking at a conference in the Middle East, and so there's some different dynamics culturally there. So always being aware, uh, and Canada, wonderfully, is a multicultural um, community, society. So we have lots to deal with. And of course, we oftentimes view everything through how we see the world and we don't take enough time to, to really engage in the person that we're speaking with. So that's the primary thing is just to be really aware culturally uh, and demographically of whom you're speaking with so that you know. But traditionally for, for us, eye contact, if you want to appear engaged and interested and trustworthy, you're going to aim between 60 and 70% eye contact. And for some people that are introverts or a little bit shy, it can be challenging or if they're nervous. So I encourage people to practice, especially now in the world we're living in where there's, you know, oftentimes mask and we can't see uh, the entire face. So we're paying a lot more attention to the eyes. Just practice. I used to practice memorizing the eye color of people checking me out at the grocery store or um, in different retail situations because you just make enough eye contact to uh, get the eye color and then you can move on. You're looking at the, the other part of the face as well, but that's a really important distinction. And then smiling, unfortunately, uh, we can only see the smile with the eyes in a lot of situations now when we are alive. Of course, we're going to change. Things will change and evolve and we will get back to a time where we see the entire face. But for now, really focusing on seeing the smile with the eyes. And you can see that when you're speaking with people. And I would encourage people, especially right now, when you're wearing a mask and you're out, smile, that authentic smile. People will see that in your eyes. I do it. I see it coming back. So important. And both go a long way in building trust because it's showing we like you, we're engaged with you, uh, I'm interested in you. And these are all things that come back to us. So we should, uh, we should put that out as a, a challenge for everybody that's tuning in and listening is number one, the whole eye contact. I love that theory about even like going to the grocery store and what colors was those eyes? Because that's a change of pattern of behavior, right? Um, and that's a great way of changing a behavioral pattern. If it's something that you're not comfortable with, whether it's looking at somebody in the eyes and such an invalid point, you know, um, the eyes are the window of, of the, I always believe of the soul. So um, everything that you're talking really connects even on a deeper level to me. <laughs> to, to, with that said, um, talk to us about the ability to read people and, and people, uh, sorry, read people or can make people break deals and negotiations. You have to fill me in with this. Like, how does this all work? It's so important. We've all been in those conversations where we felt things were going really, really well. And then all of a sudden the deal falls apart. Something goes wrong. When we start replaying it in our mind, we cannot figure out what happened. We, we said all the right things and the other person said all the right things. And then it goes off the rails. Something happens. 
So we can prevent that in our negotiations uh, and have more successful outcomes when we really pay attention to what we talked about briefly, the display. So how we are presenting ourselves as an engaged, interested, empathetic, confident person. And we're really paying close attention to those signals that we're getting back. So for example, uh, if we are doing a negotiation that we're in person, and somebody, you know, we were drinking our coffee, we're having a coffee together, and they've been, you know, we've talked about something, and then we get to the price, or we get to a, a defect in the property, for example, and we, it's been a, bo a bone of contention and negotiations, and all of a sudden, the opposing party picks up their coffee mug, and just casually places it down in front of them. So now, they haven't said anything, they haven't done anything, but you see that barrier that exists. Now, if it's just a one-off, of course, it could just be that was a comfortable spot, but it really should open us up to, okay, maybe this is a sticking point that I wasn't aware of before, or maybe there's something here that we need to talk about a little bit more. So that's when you ask another question and ask another question. It really, paying attention to body language, you're never going to be able to read somebody's mind. Body language just tells you if you're on the right track and the person is comfortable with you and things are going right, or if their emotion and demeanor has changed and now you need to think why that's happening and start doing your best to get that negotiation back on track. So uh, I believe body language, nonverbal signals will give you so much more than what's actually said. So I guess in between, like listening to you, I, the key really is, is to be aware, right? Like 100%. to be conscious of, of, of our surroundings and the people within it. And it's so hard because oftentimes we're talking great sums of money. We're talking about people being very emotional. If it's residential property, there's a whole, uh, you know, and now we have oftentimes I'm, I'm guessing that realtors are having to deal with, you know, for sale by owners or dealing directly more with, with people in that way. And they're very emotionally attached to things. And so more important than ever, especially in the hot climate that we are in currently uh, with real estate, it is very important to pay extra attention and care to those signals that you're getting back because you may not have been advised of some defect or problem and you need to be looking for deception cues which is the third d we talk about detection and we're detecting deception or we're looking for cues that are really telling us okay we need to take a bit of a deeper dive into this area so important thank you i appreciate you sharing that now, you've also spent um, years in the courtroom as a federal prosecutor and learned how to read people. Tell us how we crack the clues of deception. <laughs> yes, well, there's, there's a whole thing. The first thing, of course, I want to reiterate, and I can't say it often enough, is that there is no such thing as a human lie detector. So anyone who says that they are is lying, really, or delusional in some way. So that is impossible. Imagine if we could just read minds. We save so much money in, in political and financial ways that we'd never be able to keep up. So the important thing to know is what we're looking for are those cues and clusters. So if we present a stimulus, which is a question or perhaps uh, the contract or photos of the property, evidence of something, that is the stimulus. So when I refer to stimulus, that's what I'm talking about. And now we are watching for the immediate response within five seconds, what they do next. And we're paying very close attention to that. So uh, we're showing a picture of a basement that we maybe suspected had a grow up in there at one time or had some water damage that wasn't disclosed. 
And we're showing some things. And of course, it's not, you know, a, a realtor's job to be an investigator, but they definitely want to protect their clients um, as much as possible. So having that information and seeing what happens next so that you know to ask another question. And when we're looking for cues of deception, and that's really any change, you know, people talking about crossed arms or looking up or looking down or looking away, all of these things, is re it's really nonsense. We're looking for changes after a stimulus. Um, and then we're looking for two or more that happen during that conversation. And then we need to be on high alert for deception and know what questions to ask next. And that's where the real professionals shine and excel when we get very good at that. Okay. Uh, and so you, you got me curious now, and as you, as you were mentioning that, like just a couple of the cues to look for, but how do you do that now in our world of like technology where we're all on video? Is there any cues on, on that level? It's more challenging. Absolutely. The only benefit we now have with online is that we have a very focused square to look at and we can see the entire face. So masks are out of the equation, which is great when we're doing virtual things. We can also get some cues from behind, but again, we're gonna see some fidgeting. We're going to see some movement. I would strongly, strongly encourage that when professionals are doing um, negotiations virtually, that they insist that the camera is on at all time and that they can see the entire face and you can do this in ways that are very professional and very at ease you know just hey this is a legal uh, com conversation that we're having in our negotiations for this property it's important that we can both say with certainty that we were talking to the person that we thought we were talking to and we can see everything that's going on uh, that's really going to be important you know we don't anticipate any challenges but if there ever were we want to be able to say with certainty that we were speaking with this person and this is what's uh what was said so i think those are ways to get around that a lot of times people maybe feel shy they don't want to show their surroundings they're working from home the kids are in and out the pets are in and out the neighborhood's noisy whatever's going on we want to make sure we can see that person and really pay close attention to the amount of eye contact they have where they're looking off so to detect deception if you've asked a question or there's some contentious matter and all of a sudden i'm over here and i'm trying to scan for something that i have online or i'm trying to delay or i take too long or i back now i've moved away and that's a natural reaction even when it's online is to try to get away mm -hmm. so we want to watch for when we're engaged we're leaning in we're going back, we're fidgeting, we're uh, adjusting things. I'm adjusting my hair, my collar. Those are ventilation or grooming behaviors that are cues for deception. So we can still watch for some of those. It's just more challenging. Right. So the last one, I mean, I, I mean, I, I have a tendency of moving around here and it's not for deception though. <laughs> and, and it's just because it's, it's really hard in these, in like, for example, Zoom meetings, right? Because we're constantly not only staring at a light and a screen, but yes. we're also staring at ourselves. <laughs> yes. And that's challenge. And you know, if you're always moving your hair or moving things, or you're one of those people that has to be touching a lot, that's normal. That's your baseline. So, you know, I, I'll be, I talk extensively about baseline baseline and what that means you know that's where we start out that's when people are really in their groove they're at ease uh, we're making small talk we're talking about neighborhoods we're talking about things that's what we're watching for but if if all of it if you are a hair mover or a or a ventilator and then all of a sudden i ask you something and you stop doing that that's a cue 
that I need to pay attention to. So it's that difference that happens. Interesting. So good, definitely uh, good tips to keep in mind. Uh, I will be watching for that in the next meeting, you know, especially to anybody that's tuning in, listening. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> what can we do to increase self-awareness in, uh, in order to manage personal biases? This is something I'm spending a lot of my current research on because it's all around our personality types and how we engage with others. And you know, I really think it's important to know and to recognize if you have more introverted uh, personality, more extroverted personality, because oftentimes we think we need to be these big extroverts. And I'm an introvert by nature, even though I've done all of these jobs and I, I speak and do things now that you would think isn't that way. But my, it, my true personality is more introverted and I pay close attention to that. So self-care, I know we've heard about it probably at nauseum during all of this, but that's because it's so important, even just five minutes alone, just to, to get in touch with where we are and setting boundaries. Very, very important because if we're overwhelmed and overstimulated and we have all of these things coming at us and now I think, okay, now I've got to watch the facial expressions. Are they smiling? Are they cold? Are they crossing their arm? I've got all of this going on. I am not really going to be paying attention. If I have that self-awareness and I know, okay, I'm feeling a bit stressed right now and I'm feeling tense or I've got this home situation uh, happening in my own home and now I'm dealing with this and I have to turn it all around. I just need to give myself some grace and be aware of that. If I don't, then I'm not prepared to give the other person grace and to be patient and understanding of them as well. And if we aren't, negotiations fall down. And it's really the fault of nobody other than these stressful times that people are in becoming more aware of that can really clear the way. And when you're patient with someone and, and they're really grouchy back with you, or they're very negative and you give them grace and patience and room because you're aware that maybe you're feeling stressed as well. And you would like that received. We all know that that comes back to us. We've been in those situations. We recognize that how we treat others and it sounds cliche, is oftentimes how we receive things. And I think that it's important to remind ourselves of that. That's, uh, I, I, I mean, you keep touching on all these universal laws. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's great to hear them. And I think they're great reminders for people. Um, and why, why do people make emotional decisions right after an initial interaction? Oh, it's so fresh in their mind. And we are programmed, our brain has developed um, over the history of humankind to be that way. So we receive a stimulus and we react immediately. And that used to be because we needed to survive. And it was all based on survival. You know, we see that saber tooth tiger coming out. We need to react initially uh, with the emotion of fear and surprise and all of the things that go along with that to protect ourselves. And we can't change the way that our brain is wired. The only thing we can do is to become more aware of that and to take a breath and take a moment. One tip that I would just love to give is that when we're in a situation that's highly charged, highly emotionally charged, uh, usually in a negative way, if we take a few deep breaths, so either we're, we're on our virtual call or we're in person, we just take a couple of breaths, not exaggerated, but just a couple of breaths Research tells us the other person will follow. We're doing, we're going to talk, you know, we talk a lot about mirroring. That is one of the techniques that studies have shown actually works to de-escalate situations. Interesting. Okay. So um, with that note, I'm going to mirror you. 
Are we ready? Oh, we're ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm following your lead. <laughs> there you go. I can't help but smile. I love talking about this. I could talk about it all day long, Lisa. We could be here for hours just, you know, going off on one thing to another. So <laughs> that's so true. Um, what about verbal techniques? What is uh, what what would you tell us about those? Well, they're they're very important, obviously. Nonverbal communication makes up the majority of the messaging that we give and that we receive. So that has been shown over and over again. And I think most would agree. Oftentimes we sense more about what's actually going on just based on the tone of voice, the way the person presents themselves, even their surroundings. We're checking out what's in the background. Uh, we're checking all of these things out. However, what's being said, of course, is very important. And we listen for the words. And we sometimes we interpret them a little bit differently than they're intended, especially when we read them in text or email, but that's a completely uh, different topic. But when we hear those words, we're going to be listening carefully for the tone. So we want to listen for the baseline of how someone normally speaks. And then when their tone shifts, we can sense stress, anger, uh, surprise, happiness. We can sense all of those things from tone of voice as well, but words are very, very important. I never discount them. Clearly, I listen very, very carefully. And if you want to really engage and start building rapport using some of the similar words uh, that the person has said to you and repeating them back, not in a weird kind of Simon Says <laughs> way, but in a very casual way, goes along way in building that rapport and coming to a better negotiated strategy is to mirror those. So for example, um, if you said, you know, that you thought that the home was uh, gorgeous and you love the maple trees, something, you know, maybe a little bit later in the conversation, you could talk about something being gorgeous. You would repeat that word back and just reconnect with that person and remind them. You're not going to say it in the exact same way at the exact moment later sounds like we're playing that, broken telephone we are playing a little bit of broken <laughs> telephone and and we do it in our correspondence as well so when i receive emails my normal sign off is cheers i just it's something i've always done i like it it suits my personality however oftentimes i'll get ones back with best regards or sincerely and i will shift it to reflect what that how that person signs off and it's just it's a subtle small thing and they don't notice it consciously, but subconsciously, there's some rapport and they're saying, she's like me. There's some similarities and it goes a long way in building that. That's also, so it's a great mechanism around the whole, the whole trust factor like that we've been talking about. So we're just going to do a quick recap. So we've got your D's. Uh, so display empathy, right? Yes. Um, and then the second one was, uh, sorry, difficult decode you can decode oh. but difficult people are in there but you're, you want to decode what's coming back at you and interpret that right and then the last one is there detect. another detect yes detect. so those are our three d's yes so uh, hopefully if you're tuning in you're you're picking up on these three d's um and if you have questions about these three d's we i mean we can always uh, send them over to pamela i'm sure she'll give us some more tips and tricks is there anything that you'd like to share with our incredible membership well i just want to congratulate you on being able to manage and and shift things so quickly 
and keep the market really in a, in a strong position. And that would not be happening without professionals in place. And I'm grateful. Uh, I've worked with many realtors, both as a homeowner and as uh, a property investor. And I am grateful for the expertise and the relationships and how hard you work seven days a week. I think people forget about that sometimes, but say on call all the time. And thank you so much for all you do. Oh, that's so sweet, Pamela. Thank you. From like, and from all of us, um, including uh, the Women in Real Estate Task Force and Treb, uh, we really want to thank you for your time and joining us. And we really appreciate the tips. Of course, we're going to test some of those out and maybe even send them back to you. Mirror, yes. We're mirroring them back. Yes. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B.ca to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thank you for tuning in.